Good morning. You know, I, I don't get to sit out in the, uh, in the group and listen to the praise music. That's pretty cool. I don't get to do that very often, so I really enjoyed that. Makes me appreciate how good those guys are and how thankful I should be to be a part of that group. Turn in your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. If you know me very well, you know that Proverbs is one of my very favorite books in the Bible. And uh, I just can't help myself. I find myself being drawn to it again and again and again. And recently I was studying the book and, and it was about the time that Graham mentioned something about uh, preaching for him. And, and uh, I had just got caught uh, in Proverbs chapter 4 and it just sort of captured me. And I couldn't, I just couldn't get away from it. And so um, it, it was just logical that I would share that with you this morning. And I, I really love Proverbs because it's, uh, it's just so practical. You know, it's just, it's right down in the nitty gritty where we live. And uh, it gets down into the weeds. And, and it's, it, it talks to us about the path of wisdom, the way of wisdom, the life of wisdom. And it shows us what that looks like in very concise, practical, sort of pithy kind of terms and phrases. And I've just found myself over the 52 years that I've been alive going back to that, that, that chapter, and I mean that book over and over again, where I'm in certain situations and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what does a Christian look like in this situation? How does a Christian react in this situation? What does a Christian do in this situation? And so many times you can come back to the book of Proverbs and not only find a principle, but actually find a truth that is specific to that situation. And I'm just a pretty simple kind of guy, and I guess that's why I just find myself drawn to it over and over again. Um, I want to read this section to you. We're going to look at, our key verse this morning is verse 23, okay? But we're going to read 20 through 27, and, uh, and then kind of work our way through. And one of my good, good friends this morning... Uh, when he found out I was preaching, I almost turned around and left because he knows how hot, how long-winded I can be. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move the pace a little bit, okay? I, I, he's going to be looking at me with his watch over there. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Here's the key verse. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we just once again, uh, Father, we just confess our need for you. And uh, dear God, the reality is that uh, without you, we can't do anything. You're the vine with the branches, and we need you. And uh, so we just pray this morning as we read your word, as we study your word, that you would meet with us, that your spirit would open up our hearts and speak to us in ways that no man can, and uh, help us to understand your truth, Lord. Not so we can just know it, but so we can do it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in chapter 4... We have a father teaching a son some very important lessons. The main theme of which, which is the main theme of the whole book, is that of gaining and living by wisdom. And as a father of three boys, one of which was sitting behind the drums this morning, 
I can really relate to this because I can think back over the course of 20 plus years how many times uh, that I've you know, tried to sit down and have a conversation with them about something they were going through or something that they might be heading towards uh, and just trying to warn them, trying to talk to them about God's perspective on a matter and trying to address those issues in the book of Proverbs. Listen, parents, if you need a handbook, camp out in the first 10 chapters of Proverbs. If you want to know what to teach your children, camp out in the first 10 chapters. It's phenomenal. It's like a handbook for dads, okay? And so I've had these, many, these conversations many times, and, and, and like any good parent, you know, we want what's best for our kids, and so we do our best to warn them of dangers and instruct them regarding how to live well, how to live in a way that, that uh, brings glory to God. But the father in this passage isn't just any father. It's King Solomon, the wisest man, according to Scripture, the wisest man who ever lived. And the instruction he's providing isn't just any instruction. Uh, it's sound doctrine. He reminds, of this, reminds us of this back up in verse 2 where he says... Uh, I give you sound learning or sound doctrine. And so we're talking about sound doctrine from an all-wise Heavenly Father. So as we study this passage this morning, let's remember that these words aren't just words of instruction from a wise father to the son he loves. These words are the words of a Heavenly Father to all of us. So let's jump into this. And I just kind of want to give you a quick summary of verse 23 just to kind of set the stage. This is our key verse uh, it's, it's a real simple thing here, but I want to kind of set the stage with this. So this morning, this, this, uh, Solomon is using a metaphor. And he's using a metaphor or a, of a spring or a well. Okay, now we don't think in those terms so much because, you know, we just go to a tap and we turn it and water comes out. But in this day and age, everyone had a well and all of the water they drink, all of the water they ate with, all of the water they watered their livestock with came from a well. And regardless of where you get your water from, whether you're in the county or the city, somewhere there is a well that is the source of the water that comes into your home, okay? And Solomon is using this metaphor of a spring or a water well to illustrate the importance of guarding our heart. This, this well is the source of the water, and it determines the quality and the quantity of the water that flows from it. If that source becomes contaminated, if it becomes polluted, if it gets poisoned, all the water that flows out of it is going to be polluted. It's going to be contaminated. It's going to be dangerous. In the same way, our hearts are the source or the origin of everything else in our lives. All our thoughts, our emotions, our motives, our actions, they all flow from our hearts. What we are and the kind of lives that we live will be directly related to the condition of our heart, good or bad. And that's the essence of what this passage is teaching this morning. Okay, so I just kind of want to set the stage in real simplistic terms. Now, I also want to sort of define what the Bible means when it says heart, because our understanding of heart in modern terms and modern thought is not exactly what it was meant in, 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 in Hebrew in this day and time. So in modern thought, we tend to separate heart and head, okay? We tend to think that our heart is where our emotions flow from and, and our head is where we think and, and where we, you know, our will and, and all of that. We say things like, uh, well, my heart just wasn't in it. And what we mean is, you know, I just, I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it emotionally. Or we say, you know, his head wasn't in the game. And what we're saying is he just wasn't thinking correctly. He wasn't engaged in thinking correctly with what he was doing. And so that's kind of how we think of it when we think about 
head and heart. But in Hebrew thought, that separation didn't exist. Okay? The heart was the core of a person's being. And it included mind, will, and emotions. It was the essence of who we are. And I love the way John MacArthur summarizes this. This is what John MacArthur says. He says, the heart, Air Bunny's heart, commonly refers to the mind as the center of thinking and reasoning. But it also includes the emotions and thus the whole inner being. The heart is the depository of all wisdom and the source of whatever affects speech, sight, and conduct. So as we talk about the heart this morning, what we're really talking about is the core of a person's being, our true inner self. As one writer put it, the heart is the control center of the person. So that's what we're talking about when we say heart this morning, okay? So I want you to sort of get that. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about the heart, didn't he? If we fast forward to the New Testament, he talked about the heart a lot. The Bible talks about the heart a lot. Um, two different exchanges with the Pharisees in the book of Matthew, Jesus speaks about the heart. Uh, and, and I'm going to just read one of those to you because, because my friend reminded me that I'm long-winded and, <laughs> and I probably won't get through it all. So I'm going to cut one of them out. But I want you to listen to what Matthew chapter 15 says. Now, the Pharisees are constantly trying to trap Jesus. They're tr constantly trying to trick him. They're constantly trying to somehow you know, back him into a corner and question his authority and question who he is. And in Matthew 15 verses 17 through 20... They come to Jesus and they, 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 wanna, they accuse him because his, his disciples aren't washing their hands according to the traditions of the elders, okay? And, and they were concerned that they were going to be defiled according to the Jewish law. Listen to what Jesus says. And he's talking about this exact same issue that Solomon is talking about, just from a little bit different perspective. He says to the Pharisees, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. These are what defile a person. But to, to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So how we speak and act is directly related to the condition of our hearts. And we live in an age where everyone wants to blame someone else for their problems, for what's wrong with them. We want to blame our parents because they didn't love us enough. They didn't affirm us enough. They didn't give us the stuff that we think we ought to have or they weren't perfect. We want to blame our bosses because they're too hard on us and they expect too much and, and they, don't, they don't affirm us enough. And we want to blame the government either because they do too much or they don't do enough we all just kind of, that's just kind of the society that we live in today. We want to blame somebody for our problems. But I want you to hear very loudly and clearly and distinctly what Scripture's saying here. The primary reason we act the way we do is not because of an outside influence. It's due to the condition of our hearts. Now, if you get that, that's going to set you free from a lot of stuff. The primary reason why you and I act the way we do it's not because of a parent that messed up or a boss that doesn't like us or a government this or the neighbor that or my child or my husband or my spouse. The primary reason we act the way we do is because of the condition of our heart. Okay? If our heart is evil and corrupt, we're going to think evil thoughts. We're going to, do, we're going to say evil things. We're going to commit evil deeds. That's why Solomon says it's so very important for us to guard our hearts. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time, we sort of set the stage, okay? We've set the stage. I want to spend the rest of our time doing two things. One, I want to cover three principles that's in this passage 
want to just draw them out of the, our, our key verse here in verse 23. And then I want to spend the balance of our time talking about how we guard our hearts, okay? The application of that, all right? So verse 23, let me read it to you one more time. I want you to, I want you to hear it one more time. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Here's principle number one. Guarding your heart is a command. Guarding your heart is a command. This is not a suggestion, a guideline, something you can take or leave. It's a command. And the expectation here, the way the verse is structured, is that it should be our habitual practice. Standing guard over our heart is a continual duty. It's not a part-time gig. It's not something we can get around to, okay? There's constant threats from multiple enemies coming from multiple directions, and they take different forms. And so we have to constantly be on our guard. And the verb translated here, guard or keep, or watch over, depending on the translation that you have, uh, speaks of guarding something in one's possession, watching as one would watch something precious, continually observing attentively. So that's, what, that's the sense here, okay? And so, you know, if you think about it as a general rule, we, we guard what's valuable. We don't worry about guarding things that aren't valuable. We guard what's valuable, what's meaningful, what has value. And so the fact that God is commanding us to guard our hearts continually constantly with diligence gives us some idea of the value that God puts on our heart. And you know, we, I got to thinking about it as I was preparing for this, we spend a lot of time guarding stuff, a lot of time, energy, money. I mean, and, and good things. We, we guard our families because they're important to us. We guard them with locks and fences and security systems and technology. Uh, we guard our money with banks and safes and financial advisors. Uh, we, we guard our health, some of us, uh, <laughs> with our diet and exercise. You know, at least January 1 we do that. Uh, and doctor visits. So we guard things that are important to us. Okay, Lots of things that we guard in our lives. All those things are important. But here's what I want you to get. None of them are as important as guarding your heart. And yet, most of us spend a lot more time thinking about all those things than we do about the condition of our heart. And it's interesting, this first part of verse 23, uh, the NIV actually translates this, I've read it to you in the ESV, but the, the NIV, the New International Version, actually translated, it translates it this way, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else. In other words, more than anything else that you guard, family, money, property, Health, above anything else, guard your heart. So this is a big deal. This is a very big deal. Now, if you're paying attention right now, and I know how this works, you kind of come in and out. So if you've just come back, welcome. Glad to have you again. You may be gone in a minute, so I want to grab you while I've got you. So if you're paying attention right now and you're being honest with yourself, you may be thinking, golly, this is hard. What he's talking about is hard. God has commanded me to guard my heart. This is a hard thing. And you're exactly right. It is hard. Matter of fact, I'll just tell you, it's impossible on your own. It's impossible on my own. But thankfully with God, all things are possible. And so like every other aspect of the Christian life, it's, it's only possible as we submit to God and we walk in the power of His Holy Spirit. But the bottom line is this. The bottom line is we are responsible to keep our hearts, to guard our hearts. It's a command. I love the way... Uh, Arthur Pink uh, 
uh, just kind of balance this thing about what we're responsible for and what God is responsible for in relation to keeping our heart. Arthur Pink said, To keep, garrison, or guard the heart is the great work which God has assigned us. The enablement is His, the duty is ours. Great quote, great quote. So number one, it's a command. Number two, guarding your heart requires vigilance. It requires vigilance. It requires great and consistent effort. It's not an easy task we're talking about here. We've already kind of alluded to that. It's extremely difficult because we're, we're fighting three enemies. I don't know if you know it or not, but you have three enemies that you fight all the time, every day, that are constantly assaulting us from every direction, every angle, in multitudes of ways and varieties of forms. And so the reason this thing requires diligence is because we have these enemies that are coming at us constantly. And I, I want to just touch on who they are real quickly because we really don't understand the vigilance that it takes until we understand the enemies that we're fighting. All right, you ready? There's three of them. Two of them are outside. Okay, they're outside of us. The scariest one is inside of us. Okay, here's number one. The first enemy we fight is the world. The first enemy we fight is the world. Look at, listen to what 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 say. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the world we're talking about here, that John was talking about here, is not the physical material world that we see, okay? That's not what we're talking about. He's talking about the invisible spiritual world system that is dominated by Satan and is set against God. Okay? That's the world we're talking about here. It's this world that we live in every day that bombards us with all kinds of unbiblical ideologies, philosophies, images, anti-God worldview. Okay? And if you want to know what this anti-God worldview, this, 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 uh, this sense of the world is, just look around. It permeates everything. Look at, look at what's coming through your television into your home. Look at what it's teaching. Look at the stuff that's coming across the internet. Look at social media. Listen to the news. Listen to what the news is telling you. Drive down the highway and look at some of the billboards. Listen to some of the advertisement. It's, it's, it's very crystal clear when you start listening and paying attention what this worldview is that they're, that they're promoting and that it permeates everything around us. You know, the fact is it's so pervasive and we're so immersed in it that gradually it sort of begins to shape our worldview without us even realizing it. And I could share a lot of examples, but the one I found most interesting, I'll just share one. There was a study that George Barna did here in 2018. He's a Christian researcher. It was conducted among, uh, it was a national sample, 6,000 people, adults age 18 and older. Let me tell you, I'm going to share quickly three things that, that George Barna found in this study related to how, the, the, I call it the bullfrog effect, okay? The frog and the water effect. The, the water, the heat is being turned up gradually and, and the frog doesn't know it until it's too late, Okay. Here's what he found out. Number one, revealed the proportion of adults who have a biblical worldview 
dropped. Now, he's only started testing this from 2016. But listen to how low it was and, and what it is now. The, the, num, the proportion of adults who have a biblical worldview dropped from 10% in 2016 to 9% in 2017 to 7% in 2018. Okay? All right. Let me shock you a little more. In total, just 10% of adults who identify themselves as Christians have a biblical worldview. Let me shock you one more time. Among people whose beliefs about salvation qualify them as born again Christians, that would be us, less than one out of every four, that's 23%, have a biblical worldview. Now let that sink in a minute. Only 23% of the folks who identify themselves as born again believing Christians actually have a biblical worldview. This is the current that we're swimming in, folks. This is, the, this is the world that we live in. And every day we're being attacked. Every day we're being immersed in it. And we're like the frog in the boiling water. Okay? That's our first enemy. And second enemy is the devil. Now we all know about this one. You knew I was going to say this one. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter kind of tells us in a nutshell everything we need to know about the devil for the most part. You know, the critical elements of it. He says, look, first of all, he's our enemy. You have an enemy. Secondly, he is constantly looking for a way to attack you and devour you. Okay? He's our enemy. Paul speaks to this and fleshes the idea out a little bit better in Ephesians 6, 12. For when he sort of defines the battle for us a little clearer. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I, I, want to, I just want to tell you something this morning. This is a, this was, it took me a long time to learn this. Husbands, your enemy is not your wife. Wives, your enemy is not your husband. Your enemy is not your neighbor. It's not your child, it's not your boss, it's not your preacher <laughs> or your teacher. Your enemy is Satan, and he, and, and he has a third of the heavenly host that followed him out of heaven when he was cast out, and they are working constantly to destroy us and attack us. You've got to know your enemy. This is a big deal. Now, here's the third one. Those two are outside. Okay? It's bad enough when your enemy is outside trying to get in. But the worst case scenario, and our military bases have found this out in a post-9-11 world, the worst scenario is when your enemy is inside. And so the third one is the flesh. The third enemy is the flesh. Galatians 5.16, Paul talks about this. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, fle for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this word flesh that Paul talks about here refers to the unredeemed part of our humanness that is still bent towards sin. I love the way one writer put it. He said flesh, again Air Bunny's flesh, describes the moral and spiritual weakness and helplessness of human nature still present even in redeemed souls. We're not talking about unbelievers here. We're talking about Christians. Okay? Christians. So just to put this in perspective, 
Inside the redeemed heart that we're commanded to guard lives a traitor. One that is constantly undermining our authority and ready and willing to lead a revolt from the inside out. That's why scripture says inside every believer there's a battle that rages. That's what Paul's just said. There's a battle rage. There's a conflict. Flesh against spirit, spirit against flesh. It's constant. Jesus Christ sets us free from the power of sin and death at the cross. But because of the flesh, our unredeemed humanness, we still struggle to get free from the presence of sin. It's a reality in us. We fight against it. And so the reality is we must battle our flesh every minute of every day to keep it from controlling us and dominating our lives. And the front lines of that battle, folks, is our heart. It's our heart. Just want to share a couple of other significant quotes about the flesh real quickly. Richard Baxter, a Puritan minister, says, Ourselves are the greatest snares to ourselves. John Calvin said, In the conversion of man, the properties of our original nature remain entire. I love this one. Martin Luther said, I fear what is within me more than what comes from without. And C.H. Persian, this is, my, this is my favorite out of all of them. Beware of no man more than of yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. As long as we're in this world, we're going to be constantly assaulted by these three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They bombard us with anti-God images and ideas. They tempt us to sin. They deceive us with lies and use everything at their disposal to draw us away from God, to pull us away. And so we're commanded to guard our hearts. And it's precisely because of these enemies and their constant attacks uh, that guarding our heart is so difficult and it requires diligence and it requires maximum effort. So guarding our heart is a command. Guarding our heart requires diligence. Here's the third one. To guard our heart is literally to guard our own lives. To guard our hearts is literally to guard our own lives. Here in the last part of verse 23, we find the motive for guarding our heart. It says, for, okay, this is why we're doing it, motive, for from it flows the springs of life. Remember the metaphor we talked about. You remember we started about, we talked about the well. If the well or the source of the water is polluted, everything flowing out of it is contaminated. In other words, how we think and live is determined by the state of our heart. If our heart is polluted, everything that comes out of it is polluted. Okay? So how well we guard our heart will determine the quality and the course of our lives. And that's why it is so critical. It's the highest priority. Okay? Above all else. Lots of things we guard. Nothing more important to guard than our hearts. And, and if I could just be blunt, if we fail in this responsibility, we fail life. Because every aspect of our lives is an overflow of what's in our hearts. Now someone might hear me right now and, and they might object and say, well, now, wait a minute, Clay. Scripture teaches that our highest responsibility is to bring glory to God. And I would say you're 100% correct. That is our highest duty to God. Most important duty to God is to glorify Him. But what I'm trying to explain to you is that our highest duty to ourselves before God is to guard our hearts. Because if we neglect that duty, no other duty is possible. That's the heaviness of what we're talking about here. 
So, let's talk about some steps, okay? How am I doing on time, Brent? i got to hurry. Basic steps in guarding your heart. Number one, I want you to understand uh, is this. To guard your heart, you must fill it with God's Word. To guard your heart, you must fill it with God's Word. Go back to what he said in verses 20 through 22 of chapter 4. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Solomon is not talking about a casual approach to the word here. He's talking about consistent, diligent study and meditation of the word. Why? Because it's the word that transforms us through the renewing of our mind. It's the word that protects us from sin. It's the word that informs our conscience, which is our internal warning system. It's the word that illuminates our path. It's the word that equips us for every good work, as, as Graham was teaching about just a few weeks ago. So if, you, if you're going to have a healthy heart, number one priority is you've got to feed, regularly feed on and internalize the word of God. That's step number one. Step number two, to guard your heart, you must avoid ungodly inputs and influences. This is just a corollary truth to the first one, okay? Just as important as it is for us to learn and apply wisdom through the study of God's Word, it's necessary for us to avoid ungodly input and influences. Let me put it another way. It's not just enough for us to fill our heart with the truth. We also have to filter the stuff coming into our hearts, the lies, the unbiblical ideas that we're going to inevitably be exposed to every day. Solomon knew what we know, okay, that, that the stuff that comes into our heart comes through our eyes and our ears primarily. And so listen to what he says again. That's the inputs, okay? If we were a computer, those are the inputs. He says, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. The implication here is that if our ears and our eyes should be continually focused on hearing and learning God's word, we should guard against allowing those things into our hearts, into those same avenues, through those same avenues that contradict the very truths we've been trying to learn. Okay? Now this seems kind of self-evident that if you spend the time learning the truth, then you don't want to expose yourself to a whole bunch of lies. But I'm amazed at the things that I see and observe Christians allowing to pump into their, their hearts. Some of the junk, okay? And, uh, you know, as one teacher put it, you can probably tell a whole lot about the state of somebody's sanctification just by checking the presets on their radio. So I would just say to you this morning, what are you listening to? What are you watching when nobody else is around? When it's just you in front of the TV, when it's just you in front of the computer monitor, what are you watching? What images are you allowing to come in through these eyes? What are you listening to through these ears? What kinds of things are you reading? Because I'll tell you, that tells us a whole lot, tells you a whole lot, tells me a whole lot about where we are in terms of guarding our hearts. And it also tells us a whole lot about the condition of our heart going forward because those things will affect our hearts, okay? Number three, to guard your heart, you must strive to conform your behavior to God's standards. Look at what he says in verse 24 through 27. I'm just pulling these out of the context, but these truths flow throughout Scripture. 
Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the left or to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. In other words, Solomon is saying if to guard your heart, you need to bring your behavior in line with the biblical standard. It's just part of it. God's word should affect how you talk, what you look at, where you go, how you live. We, we study it to do it, not just to know it. And sometimes we get confused by that. We think the goal, and I was confused for many years about this, that there's somehow the goal of biblical study and meditation and sitting and teachings was so I could know stuff. That's not the goal. That's the, the precursor to the goal. The goal is so we can live stuff. Live the stuff we've learned. So we have to, if we're going to guard our hearts, we have to conform our behavior to God's standard. And the last one is this. To guard your heart, you must strive to avoid paths and people that lead you to sin. Look again back at the context in chapter 4. He's been talking to his son about walking down this path of righteousness. Look at verse 14. 14. He says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. What Solomon is telling us is, if you're going to guard your heart, there's just some places you don't need to go. There's some people you don't need to hang out with. There's some things that you don't need to expose yourself to. Because I'm going to give you a secret. The easiest way to deal with sin is to catch it early. And avoid those kinds of situations. Look, guys, if you struggle with alcohol, you probably don't need to go hang out with your buddies that like to drink. Guys, if you're struggling with pornography, you probably don't need to be sitting in front of the computer by yourself at home when none of your other family's around. Okay? I mean, we just need to avoid those things. He's saying, look, stay on the path of righteousness. A fork in the road's coming. You're going to see billboards and flashing lights, but don't get off the path of righteousness. Don't deviate from it. Don't even go that direction because you know if you go that direction, you're going to be tempted to do things you don't need to do. You're going to be tempted to be a part of things you don't need to be a part of. And it's the very same thing Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verse 14. He said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Best way to deal with sin is to avoid being in those kind of situations. So tying it all up, everything I've said this morning really assumes one thing, and that is that you have a heart worth keeping. He says keep your heart, guard your heart. But the, the assumption is that you have a heart worth keeping. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, you've been given a new heart. It's alive, it's pulsing with the life of God in it. And the message of 423, Proverbs 4.23 ought to be pretty clear to you. The message is this. You must guard your heart above everything else and with all diligence because it's the source of everything that affects speech and sight and conduct. But if, if you are not a believer, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the message is this. You have a terminal heart condition. The reality is your heart just isn't worth keeping. The Bible says... You're terminal, and you need a new heart. You need a transplant. And God is willing to take the heart of stone out and put a heart of flesh in and to give you new life, life that's His life, that pulses with His life, make you a new man that has new desires, new wants, new direction. And so I hope if you're in that second camp this morning, 
If that be you, I hope you'll pull somebody aside this morning and, and ask them to talk to you about it. There's a lot of men, a lot of women in this church that would be happy to sit down and visit with you, share the gospel with you, talk to you about that. Uh, now is the time. That's not something that we need to put off. Okay? Would you pray with me?